part of our church service here. Lord, for the wonder of your gospel, we pray that you would help us to never take that for, for granted. For the work that you're doing, the lives that you're changing and transforming, for the anointing upon men and women that you've called, even in these remote places, we give you thanks, Lord. And we just pray that you'd continue to glorify your name, continue to make it a, a praise in all the earth. Thank you for creating the hunger within the hearts of these Muslim leaders and men and women that have been led by them. And we just pray that you'd continue to, to minister to them, to speak to them deep within their hearts and lives. And we give you thanks, Lord, for open doors and open hearts, receptivity to your gospel, and a hunger to know you in a deeper and closer way. We pray, Lord, that that would be true within us as well, and that you would help us, Lord, to, as we receive from your hand, never to take these things for granted. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, this morning, I want to share with you, starting with Luke 9.23. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So I want us to, to think a little bit about uh, what is the cross that you bear? I think we don't understand what Jesus is saying in this passage. Um, sometimes we think we're, if we're in a difficult circumstances, oh, that's my cross I have to bear. Or sometimes we think if we're um, around difficult people, hard to put up with, oh, that's just my cross to bear, you know. Uh, and we, we use this word in that kind of way. I think what Jesus is telling the disciples there, because this is right after they began to realize for the first time that Jesus is the Son of God, first time they've said it openly there at Caesarea Philippi. And even as Peter said it, it was a revelation that God had given him, but he did not understand what he himself had said. And so Jesus is telling him what it means. He's telling him that he's going to die, and if we're going to walk with him, we will too. Ah, thank you. Ran out of gas here. 
who thinks that when I turn to God or self or self-denial is wrapped up in what we do for God. And we have to get to the point where we really begin to know deep within our heart there isn't anything that we can do for God. He's God. And it's God's grace that allows us to be a part of what he's doing. So Paul, as he was meeting Jesus for the first time on the road to Damascus, remember God struck him blind and he was receiving a revelation, a vision of who Jesus was. And I think one of the points of this is that when we begin to see Jesus for who he is, when we really see him for who he is, we will lose sight of everything else, including ourselves. When we see him as he is, we will lose sight of everything else and see him who he was. That gives God the opportunity to show us who we are in his sight. This is what he's doing with Paul. So in chapter 9, I muted it. <laughs> I found the problem. It's me. And that's the story of my life. I found the problem, and it's me. So Paul was struck blind, and God was speaking to a, a godly man, a prophet, actually, by the name of Ananias. And Ananias was praying. And so it's, it's important to know what's going on with Paul, but it's also to, important to know what's going on with Ananias. Um, God is speaking to Ananias in his prayer, which means that Ananias is listening. And God is telling Ananias, I want you to go pray for this man Saul. And he gave him as that, his address, told him where he was. And Ananias said, Lord, do you know who this guy is? <laughs> and sometimes that's the way we approach God, isn't it? God, do you know what you're saying? Well, I think he does. And I think he knew who Saul was. Ananias wanted to remind him, and he did. And this is what he says in verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now he's a persecutor, a person who's inflicting pain and suffering on everybody else. And God is saying, wait a minute, um, if we're going to look at a cross, it's going to involve you. Uh, oftentimes, as we said before, People want to walk with the Lord, but only in an advisory capacity to tell him what we want him to do. And it doesn't work that way. So for the rest of the morning, I want us to look and see what that meant, how that was lived out in Paul's life. Uh, we're going to start at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 
Uh, this is verses 9 through 13. And in these verses, Paul says that he thinks that God has put the apostles on display at the end of the procession. Um, when Roman armies came back victoriously from conquering other nations, they had a big parade for them. Um, and so there was bands, there was marching, the troops were all spiffed up and, and in their dress uniforms and marching correctly and everything. And they would uh, they have these long processions because these were large armies, thousands, uh, 50,000, 60,000 men, not unusual, um, marching down the road. And they would be um, honoring the general who had won the victory. At, at, they would also bring all the spoils of war in front of them. And so all the things that they had captured, that they had stolen from people that they had conquered, uh, all these, all the money and the wealth and the, the artwork and anything of value, and they would parade all of that in front of them, uh, showing the people of Rome what they had brought um, to the empire by their activities. And then at the end, they would have all the prisoners, the slaves. And usually, they would have at the very back the king if he was still alive, and they would bring him at the back. Everybody would yell, holler, throw filth and stuff, garbage at him and stuff, boo, all those kinds of things, and they would parade him through the streets of Rome, and then they would torture him and kill him, but they wanted to bring him through, parade him first. So Paul says, it seems like the apostles were on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. And he says, you know, there was a boy, a, a young boy, he got himself caught, um, locked up, because he didn't get out in time, uh, in a glasses factory. And it had one of those automatic locks on the door, it locked the door, so nobody could get in till the next morning, and people discovered that he was in there by himself with all that machinery and stuff. Everybody was scared to death for him, and... So the next morning they had the parents were there frantic and all the news media, the, the TV cameras and uh, reporters and all that kind of stuff and the rescue people there in case they were needed and they opened the door and the boy, he just simply made a spectacle of himself. <laughs> Think about it, you'll get it. Well, Paul says he felt like the apostles were made a spectacle um, before the whole universe to angels as well as men. And he said, we are fools for Christ. We go hungry and thirsty. These are the apostles now. We are in rags, brutally treated, homeless, work hard with our own hands. We are cursed. We bless. We are persecuted. We endure it. We are slandered. We answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. The apostle. That's what it means to be an apostle. He's not the guy with the fancy robes, not the guys going around with people kissing their rings or their feet, uh, not in a, a really high dollar place to stay. That's not what an apostle is. He's a spectacle before God and before men even before angels. So we're going to move now to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm sorry, chapter 4. 
chapter 2 was the, um, he's continuing on with this triumphal procession there in verse 14. And, but what he, he adds a little dimension to it in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. He says that we are an aroma of Christ to those who are perishing and to those who are being saved. For one, those who are saved, it's a, a pleasing smell, a, a pleasant fragrance. So when he's being persecuted, cursed, he blesses. That's the aroma. It's the aroma, the fragrance of the presence, the grace of God in his life. And people are being affected by it. He says for people who are not being saved, then it's a stench, an aroma of death. Because what it does is it points out the pettiness of those who are doing the persecution, the shallowness, the emptiness, the bankruptcy that's within their lives. When people fear something, they react violently. And the more they're afraid, the more violent they get. So Paul says, um, when they strike us, all they get is the aroma, the fragrance of the presence of Christ. In chapter 4, starting in verse 1, he's talking about uh, the glory of the new, new covenant in Christ in chapter 3. Therefore, he says, since through God's ministry, mercy, we have this ministry, this ministry of reconciliation and transformation, we do not lose heart. Now, what I'm wanting to do is we're, I'm wanting to show you this morning the different things that Paul himself went through as a follower of Christ. And it's a, a long, daunting list. And sometimes as Christians, we think if we are called to walk in this way, then it's all pain and suffering and sorrow and sadness. And it's not. What I want us to look at is, okay, this is what's happening in the world, but what's taking place in the relationship with God? What is the benefit that is taking place within your life and mine from having walked with the Lord, even in the midst of crisis, even in the midst of pain and challenge and suffering? Because there is a transformation taking place. So Paul says, even though they've been through a lot of difficult things, we do not lose heart. He's going to say it again later on in this chapter in verse 16. So we want to pick up here in verse 6. God who called us, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, clay pots. You remember that when God created us, he formed mankind out of the dust of the earth. We are clay. This is why at funerals you say, earth to earth, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, earth to earth. We go back from which we came as far as the body is concerned. And the good news is, so does the spirit. And so the soul and the spirit return to God who created it in his image. So while we're on the earth, we're still stuck in this clay pot to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, one of the underlying issues here that we need to be aware of is this whole thing about power. It's one of the things that the world uh, longs after and seeks after. 
power, control, manipulation, authority, however way you want to put it. And apart from God's presence, we abuse it in every area, no matter how small or how great, we abuse it apart from the grace of God. And so what he's talking about here is God has put us in this fragile clay pot because of the power of his presence in us is so unbelievable. It helps us to remember the power is from him and it's about him, it's not about us. So this is how it plays out. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. We don't understand and we don't know why. But you don't have to know and you don't have to understand in order to, to walk through something. I don't know how technically, physics-wise, I don't know how an airplane works. It doesn't keep me from flying in one. I'm not sure exactly all the stuff with electricity here. It doesn't stop me from using it. Uh, we use things all the time that we don't understand. It doesn't stop us from using them or being, being affected by them. And so he says, we're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. In other words, we're not alone. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Like Godfrey kept getting up. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. That's part of the cross that we're talking about. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. As Christian people, we often talk about living a resurrected life, forgetting that there can be no re resurrection until there is a death. And so this is one of the reasons that Paul talks about himself dying daily. He's dying daily to himself, to his own desires, his own self-centeredness, his selfishness, so that the liberated power of the resurrected Christ can be lived in and through him. This is why when he's knocked down, he can get back up. This is why when he's persecuted or cursed, he can bless. This is the aroma of Christ flowing out through him. So he said, it is written, I believed, therefore I've spoken. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. And then he says again in verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Which is the same thing he said at the end of chapter 3. Every day as we keep our eyes focused upon Jesus, we are being transformed more and more in increasing way into his image. It's a daily thing. And it's an increasing thing. So we're being renewed day by day. And he makes this incredible statement here. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So in chapter 4, here he's talking about these things that are going on inside. Um, or, or this is what's taking place outside of himself. Uh, he's told us in chapter 1, starting with verse 8, 2 Corinthians again, 
We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. This happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. And so he's talking in chapter 1 about the problems that he's facing inside, um, the stress that he's undergoing. He's talking about pressure. We call it stress these days. It affects us emotionally, physically, spiritually as well. And he says that Paul is saying here in chapter 1 that he got depressed and discouraged. This is the Apostle Paul. And he said, I had these things going on. And he said, I felt I was dying inside. Have you ever felt deep within that you were dying? I don't mean that you felt bad. I mean felt that you were dying. Paul said, that's where I was. That's where I was. The Apostle Paul. So if you felt that way, you're in good company. The good news and the critical issue is Paul didn't stay there. He didn't move in and live there. What he was able to do by God's grace was to look on and to see that God was with him. To be aware that in his despair, Jesus Christ was with him. And that was his hope and confidence and that was his strength and joy. David understood it in the Old Testament. Um, right before Saul was killed, uh, David had tried to join that battle on the Philistine side, and they rejected him. And when he got home, when he went back home, he found out that his home and the home of all of his men had been utterly destroyed, and everybody, women, children, everything, gone. His men were so grief-stricken and so much pain and sorrow and grief that they were threatening to kill David, his own men. Now when your bodyguard talks about killing you, you're in trouble. And it's just a little statement there. David said, I found my strength in the Lord. And he comes up with a solution. God was with him at that dark hour because he had lost his family his, his wives, his children, he was in as just as desperate a state as those other men. But when you're hurting, what do, you do, what do you do when you're hurting, really hurting? You look for somebody to blame. And of course, it's never our fault, is it? But the book of Proverbs says, a man's own folly ruins his life, but his heart rages against the Lord. I've known a lot of people that way. And in their hurt and in their grief, they lash out against God. And some of these guys, yeah. they live pretty hard lives. And yet they're angry at God. What did I ever do to deserve list? Well, the list is long. <laughs> if we're talking about what we deserve, right? My list is long. So, 
Paul found strength and grace in the presence of the Lord. And that's the good news about when God calls upon us to be in difficult situations. And they're not all difficult. There's incredible giftings. There's incredible blessings. There are times of refreshing. There are times when you think that you're in heaven when you're actually still on the earth. And you turn around and you realize, oh, I'm still here. Uh, What's changed? Um, The things that's changed is what's going on inside of you. So in chapter 1, he's talking about the things that were taking place inside him. Chapter 4, he starts talking about the things outside of him. And he's just getting started. He says it again in chapter 6, chapter 11, chapter 12. And there are different lists covering different issues in his life. So in chapter 6, verses 4 through 10, he says, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness on the right and on the left, though through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, Genuine, yet regarded as impostors. Known, yet regarded as unknown. Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. So we look at these things, and, and they are they're opposite in contrast. This is what he meant that outwardly we are wasting away because that's what he's experiencing. Inwardly we are being renewed day by day and that's what he's speaking about here as well. About the power of God that's being unleashed, the purity, the patience, the kindness, the love, the truth, the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of God effectively changing and transforming him. Now what's taking place in the Apostle Paul is what takes place when God sends people uh, to a place of ministry. Sometimes we think we're going there to help those people, and that's true. But a greater thing that's going on is God has sent us there to help us, to help those who are, are taking the good news. And the transformation that takes place in the people when they receive the gospel of Christ is very little different from the transformation that takes place in the person who is presenting. And it's an incredible thing which God's done. It's for my benefit that I get to go to Africa, as well as for anybody there that I spoke to. It's as much for me as it is for them, maybe more so for me than for them. In some ways, I have farther to go than they do, not just geographically. So that's what God does. And that's what he says he's doing here within Paul. Um, sometimes people think, well, I wish I, was, I, I could have been one of the disciples. If you were one of the disciples for this long, you would trade places quickly. <laughs> quickly. Um, and those were people who were in the presence of the Lord, and so are we. And they heard his voice, And so can we, within our hearts, within our lives, to know his comfort in ways that they could not. 
So this is what Paul is talking about. This is what's taking place within him. Then in chapter 11, he gets very personal. This is the most autobiographical of his letters. He starts getting very, very personal here. And he just starts talking about what he's experienced here. Now we're only talking, we think sometimes that Paul had this great extended ministry. We're looking at 20 years, 20 years. We're not looking at a great span of time here. So here's what's going on. Verse 22. He's talking about these uh, people who are distressing them. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Remember Paul was a Pharisee. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. I've worked harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move because he's been ran out of town. Um, I've been in danger from rivers in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. And so Paul, he goes on later and says that um, while he was in Damascus, uh, the king, the governor under King Artus, had the city of Damascus garden, guarded in order to arrest him. And they lowered him out a basket, out a window, uh, outside the walls of Damascus to keep him from being killed. And so Paul, as he goes through this list, he's showing us a couple of things. Number one, the book of Acts is only a partial story. We don't get all of this, all of this that he's just mentioned right here. We get examples is what we get. And so you look at just what we see in the book of Acts and we think, man, what did this guy go through? And that's not even half of it. That's not even half of it. If you put that with this list that's, that he, he talks about in 2 Corinthians, and there's much, much more. And that's just one of the apostles. There were 12. And so that's the kind of thing that's going on. It's this thing, this list that we just went through, the beatings and the deprivation and the hardship and all of that, that he had spoken of earlier in this same letter as these light and momentary afflictions. I don't think those are very light. <laughs> So these were ordinary men, people like us. Uh, they got bruised, they got broken, they got cut, they bled, they shivered in the cold and sweat in the, in the heat of those dungeons. So they're ordinary people that God is doing extraordinary things through. These light and momentary things. 
In addition, we could look at chapter 12 where he starts talking about the his thorn in the flesh. And then it gets more than personal, doesn't it? Now, it's, it's a lot like Job if we start looking in the book of Job. A lot of these things happen outwardly. A lot of these ha things happen to people that were close to him that he loved. But now it's getting personal. Thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan, he says, and God allowed it because of his grace, his mercy, and his love. And so he's going to say later on in Philippians, all of these things I counted as nothing for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And he says to sum things up in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says to the Romans what he said to the Corinthians, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, that's not just when he dies. That's the glory that's being revealed in him as he's going through this suffering. Revealed to him because of the closeness and the presence of Christ and because of the glory of Christ shining through him to others through that suffering. And then later on in the same chapter, chapter 8 of Romans, He's going to sum it all up and says, And all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the resurrection life that he has come to give and the eternal glory that is ours in the present as well as in the future. And the spectacle continues. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would guide us and direct us, that you would equip us, enable us, draw us close to you so that we will have the resources to face what you've called us to, to walk through in our day and age, in this generation, in this present life, in this place that you've called us to live and to be. So Lord, we pray that you would glorify your name, draw us close, help us to know you in all of your fullness and what that means for us. Help us to lean upon you and not upon ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. The good news is that as we come, we come as God's children. And so the psalmist, one of the great messianic psalms that speaks of the crucifixion of Jesus, says this, Praise be to God our Savior who daily bears our burdens. So if we're called upon to bear our cross daily, this is the, the reason that we're expected to be able to do so. Our God is our Savior, and He daily, every day, bears our burdens. Isaiah says, In all their distress, He too was distressed. 
and the angel of his presence saved them. This is why when Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me? And, Jesus, and Saul said, I don't even know who you are. And he said, I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. Well, he wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the church. That's you and me, people in Uganda. Jesus takes it personal. In all their distress, he too was distressed. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. And so when Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross, it's your burdens and mine that was lifted up with him. And he bore the, the, the cost of that. So we remind ourselves uh, weekly in our church of the, the price that Jesus paid for us. That the call to come and die is not just an empty call. He showed us what it means. And he invites us to participate. And what happens when we do that is we begin to understand what life is all about. It's not about us. And if we start here, we will never, ever get to an, uh, a reason. We'll end up empty and alone and isolated and fearful. So he offers us to walk into life. But in order to receive something, you have to let go of what you have. And it's this dying daily that Paul talks about that's the letting go. Only then are we in a position to receive all the fullness of God. So as Christians, if we say, why don't I experience more of the fullness of God? What are we hanging on to? What are we hanging on to that keeps us from receiving? We've got a God who loves us. He died and rose again from the dead to give it to us. He's here sending his Holy Spirit to impart that to us. It's whether you're going to receive it or not. So we remind ourselves, this is possible because on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body, it's broken for you. After supper, he took the cup and after he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, take, drink, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you and for many. It's for the forgiveness of sins. Before he did that, Jesus told the disciples, I have longed with a great desire to eat this meal with you. And when he talked about his broken body and his, blood sh and his shed blood, he was talking after he had given thanks and praise to God. And he wants to share that with us this morning. Our church, we have open communion. You don't have to be a part of this church to come. The invitation is from Christ. We add our invitation to that. You're welcome here if you want to participate. Don't feel pressured to come. You're not. But if you want to come, you're freely welcome. So will those who are serving communion please come forward?